word from God, not just the Bible. Uh, that didn't sound right. We love the Bible. <laughs> we love the Word of God, but, but I mean not just to information or not just words on a page, but to what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Word of God to us. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, speak to us. If, if you could do this, turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 1, which is what, where we've been the last couple of weeks, but then also Acts chapter 11. We're going to actually stay a little bit longer in Acts chapter 11, but Philippians chapter 1 and Acts chapter 11... And uh, what we've been talking about this, uh, these last couple of weeks as the new year's gotten started is unstuck and moving forward. And I really believe that this is not necessarily like um, what you would call a sermon series. And in fact, I don't even know necessarily how many messages that the Lord really wants me to press into this. You know, like from, from, my, from my natural brain, I could come up with like the eight steps to being unstuck and moving forward. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily what the Lord wants to do in this series. Not necessarily going to be a long series. Uh, I think the Lord just had a word for us. And the word is unstuck and moving forward. That this is a year of breakthrough and a year of fruitfulness. This is a year of getting unstuck from things that you've gotten stuck in. And it's a year of moving forward into the things that God has for you. Amen? Yeah, that's a good place to say amen, to say, yeah, we believe that, Lord. But, um, <clears throat> and so, let me just, uh, well, dude, I'm just getting all lost here today, sorry. All right. And so here, uh, we had read this a couple weeks ago, where Paul says this in Philippians 1.25. He says to the church in Philippi, who he's, pl- he's planted this church, he's pastored this church, he loves this church, they're partners with him in ministry, and he says to them, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. For your progress and joy of faith, some people translate that for your joyful progress of faith, but either way, the way however you translate it, that Paul is saying that the Christian life and even his role in investing in these believers, is that people would progress, move forward, not remain stuck. And the reality is, is we all get stuck in things, don't we? We've actually talked about the last couple of weeks, and I told you that I'm just the best at getting stuck, you know? I've gotten stuck in just about anything you could think about getting stuck in. Uh, just unforgiveness, or, or bitterness, or maybe some sort of, uh, you know, just, you know, I, I'm really good at getting distracted. Anyone else? You know, you're like, going for Jesus, and then squirrel, you know? <laughs> And whatever that thing is that distracts you, you know, just insert word there. Like, you know, and we just, get, we just get off track, we get tired, we get weary. Somehow the temporal things of this life just seems, seem to be able to distract us from the eternal realities, don't they, right? And that yet the Lord does not want us to remain in that place of getting stuck. He wants us to forgive where we need to forgive. He wants us to surrender, repent where we need to do that. He wants us to be honest and open and vulnerable to Him when we need to do that. But He wants us to to move forward in the things that he has for us. And, that, and I just want to say that this year is that year. Uh, in a, probably in a couple weeks here, we're going to be pressing into some things that um, I, I just, there's a, I'm, uh, basically I'm mostly going to talk to you about it at Kingdom Night. Let's just say that. At Kingdom Night, I'm just going to deposit into you what the Lord is saying to our church for this year. But I will say that the Lord is just going to be taking us deeper into things that we're already walking in as a church. There's just things that that the Lord has done in the last four years to really get us on the right foundation to shape the culture of this church, uh, the community or the culture of this church in a certain way, and yet the Lord wants to take us much deeper. And so 
really, like I said, we're going to be pressing into some of this stuff, and I'll explain what that stuff is in the next uh, season. But today, this message is really, if you will, to get us on the right track of not getting stuck in, in the past, not getting stuck in pride or, or uh, whatever it would be, but to really allow the Lord, by the power of His Spirit, to move us forward. And I, and I made a comment last week, and it was totally, uh, it was awesome, because I didn't think about it until the Lord told me that day. Now, <laughs> if you were here last week, it was kind of one of those Holy Spirit, uh, uh, He had an agenda, and we just caught wind of it a little too late. But basically, the Lord had said this. He said that, that uh, where sin abounds, right, Romans chapter 6, where sin abounds, grace abounds more, right? Let's just say that in, in our language, you're more stuck, you get more grace. You know, you say, man, I've been in this, I, I, just, I just don't feel like I can move forward because of this thing in my life. You know, maybe there's some shame, like something that happened 20 years ago either happened to you or from you. And you're like, yeah, but this thing. And, and the Lord would say, yeah, you feel more stuck, more years of stuckness, more grace. That, that, that there's a particular issue going on in your life or a particular habit, maybe an unhealthy way of you relating to other people. Healthy relationships might be a good one for you. But, but you're saying, man, there's this, my, my, our relationship just, just is the same, the same, the same. Or there's some emotion that you get stuck in. You, know, you seem to be moving forward, but there's a particular thought that you struggle with, and it just takes you out emotionally and keeps you from really moving into your calling or whatever, or moving into healthy relationships or, or deeper into the Lord. And you, and you keep saying, I want that, I want that, I know I need that, I want that, but you don't seem to ever break through. The Lord would say where there's more stuckness, there's more grace. Amen? And so today, there's more grace. What I'm going to talk about today might be a little intense, but we should all figure that with Dave, right? You know? <laughs> but where you feel more stuck, there's more grace. And the Lord's just going to pour out His grace today. So turn with me to Acts chapter 11, and let's look at what the Lord has to say about getting unstuck and moving forward. In fact, I just was remembering, I, I shared one thing last week where, like in 2010, I really started getting stuck in a particular area of bitterness in my heart towards a person, and they never knew that, but it was affecting our relationship, and the Lord had to confront me, and I had to forgive and move through that. You know, it's not that, hey, those feelings of unforgiveness come up, those feelings of hurt. Maybe somebody really did hurt you, but we don't want to get stuck there. We don't want to stay there, you know? Sometimes that's how, you know, in psychology or, you know, you go to a therapist and they awaken some wound from your past all good and fine and dandy because we need to get honest. But some, I found a lot of times people get stuck when they don't have the word of God, when they don't have the truth of God, when they don't have a revelation, a vision of what is whole, they get stuck in the broken, right? We, kinda, we need to identify sometimes the counterfeit. Now, hey, that's bad. But we need the real to move us into wholeness. You can never find truth by reacting to a lie, right? You react to a lie, you end up in another extreme. But we have to actually have something that is true, that is real, that, that we can actually reject the lie and embrace the truth. I was even thinking about it that, I, I don't know, it was, a, it was a number of years ago, but I remember on the phone with Michelle, my wife, saying to her, I remember exactly where I was and what I was saying, but I'm on the phone with her, and I remember saying to her, I said, I realize today that I have had this tape playing in my head for like two or three years and it has been shutting me down in the area of my ministry. 
and just life in general, like what my calling is, it's been shutting me down. I remember, I totally remember that. And of course, like just talking with my wife who gives grace to me and that already there's breakthrough, right? Already just because the Lord had showed me that there's this tape that's been playing in my head and just being able to be honest before God, but also honest before my wife who can love me and accept me, it broke, you know, and that wasn't the end of it. You know, you got to work through and I literally, you know, eject the tape, put the good stuff in there, you know? And so, but that was, that was years ago. And I, I really don't believe that I would be a lead pastor right now. I don't believe that I would be able to give to you the way that I am graced and privileged to give to you if I hadn't seen that tape that was playing and really consciously, vulnerably, and intentionally ejected that tape and get the right truth in my head, the word of the Lord, amen? So that's what the tape that we need is, the word of God and what he is saying to us by his spirit in us, all right? So anyways, so I'm a, I'm a great expert at getting stuck and I think I'm pretty good at getting unstuck by the grace of God or he's better He's going to get me unstuck, so let me share, with some, share some things with you. All right, so Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 26. We're going to read this, and then, uh, and then I'll unpack it for you, okay? So Acts eleven nineteen through 26. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now let me give you just the framework and the context for this story, but then I want to give you a principle that the Lord wants to speak to us about. I really sense the Lord has a word for us today. I recognize that in this just little story right here, if you don't understand Acts and if you don't understand many of the people and the players what I just read to you is like, like coming into the middle of a movie, you know? Hey, hey, what's happening? What's happening? Shh, you know? You ever had that? You're watching the movie, you're totally into it, and somebody's like, hey, hey, wait, why, why, why is he doing that? Shh, watch it from the beginning. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> hold on, you know, let me pause it. So let me pause the story for a second and just tell you this, that remember the Holy Spirit fell on, 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 on the 120 people in the book of Acts chapter 2. I mean, that's not when the, where the Holy Spirit fell, sorry. But that's where it's recorded, right? Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit fell, 120 people. 3,000 people come to Jesus in one day and the church of Jerusalem explodes, right? There's this church in Jerusalem. That is the beginning of the movement Jesus' movement to transform the world, the church, right? The people of God, that was the first church in Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, that Jerusalem church, people went out from that church and planted churches everywhere, okay? I mean, that moment that the Holy Spirit fell on 120 believers, unstoppable force. 
A fire was, was kindled that has not been able to be stopped or quenched for 2,000 years. Transforming this world, transforming cities and nations, right? Uh, so, so, but these believers, many of them just stayed there for a little while. And then there was this persecution that hit. Uh, Stephen, the first martyr, uh, I guess Jesus would be the first one, but Jesus, the, uh, Stephen was the first martyr. He was stoned, and, and this strong persecution just hit the church. And so the church in Jerusalem scattered. They went everywhere, and then when they went everywhere, they, started, they were just preaching the gospel. So they went and planted churches all over Okay, before the Apostle Paul planted churches, normal, everyday, spirit-filled believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, went and just started churches in their workplace, started churches in their cities, went back to their synagogues, started churches. Just awesome, okay? Yeah, yeah, that is a woo-woo. So, so, uh, so, but all these, at first, they just went and preached to the Jews, meaning that they were Jews and they preached to Jews. They preached to the people who were, they were comfortable with. Right? Their cultural, ethnic uh, demographic. Okay? And yet, these Jewish people, in verse 20, some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, they went to Antioch, okay? this city called Antioch, and they spoke to the Hellenists, meaning they spoke to people who were Greek, the, the people who were not Jewish. So they broke through their cultural barriers. They broke through what was normal and common and comfortable. And they reached out to people that they didn't feel comfortable with, right? right? They, they reached out to that neighbor that speaks another language. They, re, right? they reached out to that coworker that just is a different culture or whatever. Okay, so they went to Antioch. And these literally are, in many ways, the first church planting missionaries. Cross-cultural missionaries right here in Acts chapter 11. Amazing. <clears throat> you can tell I get really excited about this because I'm probably giving you way too much information here. Okay. But Antioch, check this out. Jerusalem is the first major big mega church and is the first church that becomes a missionary sending church. And then Antioch becomes the second. Okay. And the third is Ephesus. And that's, well, that one's my favorite in Acts 19. We'll talk about it another day. So in Antioch, literally... Tons of people come to Jesus, right? You notice that it says that they believed and turned to the Lord. Believed and turned to the Lord. Why? Because they put their faith in Jesus. Said, yeah, I receive your forgiveness. I trust you really did die and rise again. And they made Jesus the Lord of their life, which is what we were just uh, ministering in worship. And, 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 uh, and if, if, if you've done that today, if you haven't, just do it right now. You put your trust in Jesus. You turn your heart to the Lord. Sin's forgiven. He's, in, he's the leader of your life, right? And so many, many people, it says great number believed in the Lord. And what happened was the news about this went back to Jerusalem. And so at Jerusalem are where the apostles are. At Jerusalem, there are elders at Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is still in many ways the center of the movement of Christianity at the time. And so there's leaders there at Jerusalem. And these leaders were not controlling, but they wanted to go and they wanted to send apostolic support to this new fledgling ministry to this new church. They wanted to go and cover it. They wanted to go and send support. So they sent out a man named Barnabas, okay? One of the elders, one of the leaders in Jerusalem, and they sent him out. And Barnabas shows up there, and you'll notice that when he sees it, he's filled with joy in verse 23, and he sees the grace of God. He sees that what's, what's happening is a movement of God, that people have genuinely come to Jesus, and these people are genuinely being transformed, right? So he sees true, something powerful happening, right? Now, remember, Barnabas is a man who has been a part of a movement of the Spirit, right? He's been a part of revival, what we would call revival, 
which rival really just as normal Christianity. And so here, here, is, here is Barnabas who has experienced the grace of God. In fact, it says here he's full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I mean, this guy, yeah, that guy, that's good. Wouldn't you like to be called, man, Kurt, man, that guy's, man, that guy's full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I mean, wouldn't you like people to say that about you, something like that? So Barnabas is a man of God. He moves in the power of the Spirit. He believes the Lord. He's an anointed teacher of God's Word. And he has been, if you will, he got saved and he got discipled where? In Jerusalem. Right? So he understands the movement of the Spirit and he is a mature follower of God. I mean, he was probably, he was Jewish. He was a priest before he got saved. So he had a lot of prep work before he even came to the Lord. And this man shows up and he sees, man, God's doing something here in Antioch, right? And he basically blesses it. I mean, he basically is like, hey, yeah, yeah keep going, guys. And, um, and then actually he, uh, in verse 24 and, or 25, he actually goes and he finds Saul. Now Saul is later, uh, his name is changed to Paul, and that's the famous, you know, the Apostle Paul planted lots of churches and... Uh, uh, wrote a lot of the New Testament. So that's, that's Saul right there. This is Saul, or this is Paul before he was renamed Paul. And this is uh, still Saul as, as, as somewhat of a new, newer Christian. He's been a Christian for maybe 13 or 14 years or something like that. But he is brought to Antioch by Barnabas. Why? Barnabas and Saul partner together, and it says that they taught a great many people for about a year. So together, they invested in that church for about a year, and then about a year later, they were actually sent out themselves, Paul and Barnabas, as missionaries from that church. So once again, you've got Jerusalem, a missionary-sending church. Antioch becomes a missionary-sending church. Basically, the Apostle Paul and all the great things we talk about Paul, it happens because it was a church called Antioch. Antioch was the place Paul got groomed, got sent out. They were the ones who supported him financially probably, uh, at least with prayer, right? Paul is the, Antioch's the place he comes back to after his missionary journeys, okay? This is a big deal. What does Barnabas, now to the point, verse 23, what does Barnabas teach the church when he shows up? What does he say to them, if you will, in his first message to them? What does a man of God who's filled with the Holy Spirit of faith, who has walked in revival in a church in Jerusalem, what does a man like that say to a church that is moving in the grace of God? He says this. He says, when he came and had, verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. You guys, man, I see the grace of God on you. I see what God is doing in you. Look at how many of you have left idols to follow Jesus. Look at how there was brokenness in your life. I already see the evidence of grace as you love one another and give to one another. As you repent of sin and you're walking in holiness. I see the grace of God on your life. And I want to encourage you. Continue walking with the Lord. Continue following Jesus as the Lord and the leader of your life. Continue with Him. In the same way you embrace the grace of God the first time. Continue in that. But then He gives a very specific phrase that I want to unpack. He says, continue 
with the Lord. Continue following Jesus as Lord. Continue being his disciple. Follow him. With what? Purpose of heart. With purpose of heart. That was his message. That's what he preached on. And I guarantee it didn't take him a couple minutes. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And then he stayed there. He stayed there for more than a year, pouring into the believers' lives. And I guarantee that wasn't just on a Sunday. And I can show you why I can tell you that. Pouring in. Then he brings another guy along named Saul, and he says, dude, come here. I need your help. We need to disciple this church and they disciple this church for a year and invest in this. And the result is obviously a lot of spiritual growth, but it says right here in verse 24, and a great number, a great many people were added to the Lord. What happens when you disciple people who have the grace of God on their life? They reproduce themselves. Amen? Isn't that the pattern in the book of Acts? Isn't that what Jesus said? If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, right? Healthy things reproduce. So he invested his life into them and they reproduced. And when you don't disciple, people don't reproduce. Notice what he says here in verse 23. With purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. That word purpose of heart. With purpose of heart. The word purpose in the Greek is referring to doing something with intentionality and resolve. Literally, the the phrase literally can mean a setting forth, a setting down before something happens, a setting down. It actually can be used of the the bread that the priest put down in the temple before the Lord. And and so it has this picture of putting something down. Literally, though, when it is used in the New Testament, in contexts like this and in other places like this, it's referring to having a deliberate, intentional plan. Before you do something, you set down a plan. Even, I would argue, writing it down. That you write down a plan of action. And I believe that the apostle, or, or later uh, Barnabas is considered an apostle, that this man of God who came to disciple people who would come to Jesus, new believers, and to, if you will, be the uh, catalyst for a greater fire, a greater revival to continue that revival moving in the church of Antioch. He came to grow this church spiritually and numerically, probably not as the primary senior pastor or something like that, but just as a support. He came and his message to them was, I challenge you to keep walking with Jesus. Follow him with an intentional, deliberate plan. He says, I want you to have a plan of action of how you're going to follow Jesus and I want you to commit yourself to it because that's how you're going to grow both personally and corporately. And I believe that's what the word of the Lord is today. That the Lord is calling us to have a plan, a deliberate plan of growth. See, when Jesus turned to his disciples and said to them, hey guys, come, follow me. What could he mean other than a lifestyle of learning from Jesus to be just like Jesus 
and do just what Jesus does. A disciple literally is an apprentice, right? Like an electrician or a plumber learning to do just what the master teaches them. And so Jesus was inviting people all the time, come, come here, come, be in relationship with me. That's what that word come means, come here. Jesus says, come, hear what I say, and do it. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What characterizes a person who is a disciple of Jesus? One who is following Jesus. The word disciple means a disciplined follower of someone, right? It means someone who is the apprentice of the master. One who is becoming and doing just like the master. Jesus never had in his mind dying for people who would just sit in chairs or go to church once a week. He had in mind literally reproducing himself in us. Right? That the son, of, the son of God became a son of man so the sons of men could become sons of God. Right, not God, just sons of God. Right? He restored the image of God in his creation. Jesus came to reproduce himself. Remember he said, if a seed remains by itself, John chapter 12, it's done. Just a seed. He said, but if you take that seed and it dies and it goes into the ground, it will grow into a tree. It will produce much fruit. He said that. Much fruit from that one seed. What was he referring to? He was alluding to his death. He said, if I die, I'll be buried in the ground. I will resurrect. I'll be the firstborn from among the dead. So that what? So that human beings can be conformed to my image. So that I wouldn't be the first, the only one born from the dead, but I would only be the firstborn from the dead. He tasted death for us all, that he might bring many sons to glory, right? Sons or daughters, but just, he died, he tasted death, so that we would come to the Lord and become just like him, conform to his image. This is why he died, this is his, his vision, and see, so often the church does not have a clear vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a clear vision of who Jesus is and what it looks like to become like Jesus. And oftentimes the church does not have a clear strategy or plan or a commitment to that plan to move towards that Christ-likeness. What does it look like to know Jesus intimately, to become like Jesus Completely, to bear his image, and then to partner with him, co-labor with him, to reproduce his life in others, bear much fruit, to bring his kingdom on earth. What does it look like, and how, as a church, do we walk in that way? These questions have been what I've been obsessed about in my own life for many years, what I'm obsessed about for us as a church. What does it look like to follow Jesus in community, personally? And corporately. And I believe the Lord wants us to have an intentional, deliberate plan of growth. The reality is, is that this is how you move forward in the kingdom. This is how you go further up and further in. This is how you do it. 
you need a plan. My dad used to say, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Hey, that's not in the Bible. Like, we don't need to, like, you know, we don't need one of those, like, God helps themselves, or God helps those who help themselves. But it's, that's what my dad used to say that to me. But you know what? There is a, a truth in that, isn't there? And I have seen it as I have pastored and discipled people, as I have loved people, as I've worked with people many times who, who are stuck, who were stuck. I've seen people stay stuck, and I've seen people get unstuck, right? I've seen people stay stuck, and I've seen people move forward. And I'll tell you, there is a correlation that the one who submits to a plan and sticks to the plan they grow. And the one who does not stick to the plan, they might say they have a plan, but the one who does not stick to the plan, they don't grow often. Or rather, you could say it another way, because I don't want to be like, like, I don't want to be like black and white. There is re- the reality that to the gr- degree that you are committed to a good plan, you'll get unstuck and move forward. You say, but you don't understand, I've got this brokenness in me. I've got this, I need inner healing. I've got this, this woundedness from my past. I know, I understand that. That is a reality. We need a plan to deal with that. I'm not saying that if you're whole and free, that you need a plan. I'm saying that if you're stuck, you need a plan. And some people's stuckness is, I have no plan. I don't know what to do. I have no idea. I've heard message after message. I've been in church for a long time. And I have no idea. And that's okay. Where you're more, more stuck, more grace. Amen? But we need a plan. We need a plan. <clears throat> See, many times, um, I don't know what it is, but we come into the church and, uh, forgive me, but I think we put on the religious stupid cap sometimes. I didn't say you do, just somebody else, right? <laughs> See, because we understand how things work in the natural, don't we? If you plant a seed and you water the seed, it will grow. If you do nothing, you will get nothing, right? And so, often in the church, we call grace doing nothing. That is not what grace is. Grace is the resource from the outside, a seed from heaven, the Word. It is the strength, it is the might, it is the love, it is the healing, it is the supernatural power of God. Jesus is the grace of God. He is the kingdom invading this broken world, and he knows exactly how to do it. Grace means he loves you unconditionally, accepts you, but it also is that resource to you to help you to get unstuck and move forward. See, Paul, Paul said it a number of different ways. Um, in 1 Timothy 3, he actually tells Timothy, Timothy, you know, you know my purpose. He says the same word here. You know my manner of life. You know my long-suffering, my faith. He's telling Timothy, imitate 
my life, Timothy. Do what I do. Do what you have seen me do. And he literally uses the same word and links it with a way of life. He says, you know, Timothy, how I have lived my life. And what did Paul say? I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. Yes? How do you win a race? How did the 49ers beat the Saints yesterday? Yes. (laughs) Sorry, those of you who are Saints fans. I mean, I know Saints. We should probably be rooting for the Saints and all that. But Okay, but anyway, so how did they win yesterday? Did they practice? Did they work hard? Of course they did. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm sure both teams worked very hard, right? Worked very hard. Can you imagine a boxer? He's got a fight in three months. And he's like, eh, I'm good. And he doesn't train. He just rests. Hey, I've won before. You know, I've done a discipleship program in the past. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. With my facetious, <laughs> my facetious character. Okay. You know, I, I've done that in the past. I could win. You know, what's going to happen in that boxer? Those of you who know a little bit about boxing, my goodness, you have to be in shape. He's going to be huffing and puffing by like the second round or third round. You know, oh, whoo, oh, I got a cramp. You know what I'm saying? Every, everybody's going to be watching that boxer, isn't sweating, breathing hard. Okay, I give up. You know what I'm saying? You win, you know. Because he didn't practice, right? He doesn't have a regimented, disciplined plan. And see, what do we see? What do we see? We see the boxer who's like not doing so good, right? We don't know whether he's practiced or not. I mean, really, do you guys really think about, I mean, like, you ever, have you ever watched a televised practice of your favorite team? I mean, some of, maybe some of you are a little crazy like that. But I mean, come on, really. Do you really think about like, well, I really hope they're practicing. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how they're eating today. I hope they're doing their wind sprints. I really, you know, I really hope they're doing that, you know. Do you really think about that? No, we don't think about the practice, do we? Because where's the practice generally done? Behind the scenes, my wife says, in the secret. Where did Jesus say we were to be where did Jesus say we are to live out of? Secret place? Where, where, do, where, where does a seed go? Can you see it? If you can see a seed, that's bad news. <laughs> I mean, unless you're doing one of those science experiments and you're putting it in a cup of water and you're just going to chest it out. I mean, come on, think about it though. If a, if a, if a farmer can see his seed... That is bad news. You know what I'm saying? See my seed right there? I put it on top of the ground today. You know? You see that? On top of the ground. Look at me. Yeah. Right? That's why Jesus said, no, you have to be in the secret place. Right? What you do in secret manifests. Right? See, I wonder why there's so much flesh sometimes in our home life. I wonder why 
Certain things manifest when we're in relationship with other people. See, community, healthiness, holiness comes out of intimacy with God. Out of the secret place. And whatever you've cultivated in the secret place, whatever you've planted in the kingdom of God, it will bear fruit. But you need a plant. And Paul was telling Timothy, you know the way I've lived my life. Paul says, I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. How did he do that? Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 9. I don't, I don't box like a man beating the air. He says, I don't run aimlessly. No, I discipline my body. That after having preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified. What is he saying? Is he talking about legalism? He's talking about intimacy with God. Being in the secret place. He's saying, I have to press into the Lord. And Paul is making it very clear. He says it in 1 Corinthians 9. You guys, only one person wins the gold medal. Only one person wins the prize. He says, run in such a way to get the prize. Now, he's not talking about competing against one another. He's not. That's not the metaphor of Christian life. Like, we're going like, to stomp on each other's necks to get like, Jesus' like, kiss or something like that. Or, or his crown. No, no, no. He's talking about you. Your life. God has a reward for you. He has a calling for you. He has an assignment on your life. He has, the way Paul says in Philippians 3, so I know I'm a little all over the place with the scripture, I'm just trying to pull something together here, is that he says in Philippians 3, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That means Jesus took hold of us by his grace. And Paul is saying, I'm pressing on to take hold of Jesus and to take hold of Jesus in the way that he took hold of me. Paul is pressing on to know the Lord, pressing on for Christ's likeness, pressing on for fruit in his ministry, to fulfill his assignment in God. And, and he's saying, only one person wins the prize in a race. Run in such a way that you win the prize. We all know we all know what it takes to win a race. We all know what the boxer needs to do. We all know what the, what the, uh, uh, what the football teams are going to be doing this week preparing for Sunday. Right? We all know that if you work hard, you will be conditioned. If you do it over and over and over again, that rote, whether it's playing scales on a guitar or or a, a, a military person putting their gun together and shooting and, and working on their aim. Whatever we do over and over and over again becomes muscle memory, and we live out of that naturally, right? We all know that in the natural, but we don't understand how we need to do it in the spiritual. We're kind of closet materialists sometimes, aren't we? Like we say we believe in the spirit realm. We say we believe that we're spiritual beings. We say that we're going to reign with Jesus for eternity. Like, yeah, he can't wait till he comes back. And yet we live our life as if we're just, as if everything's temporal. And we neglect the one thing that Jesus has called us to, follow me. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And what the Lord is calling us to is to follow him, to have a deliberate intentional plan, a lifestyle of following Jesus. What does it look like? What does it look like? What would it look like to follow Jesus? We don't have to wear sandals and robes, right? What does it look like to follow Jesus? 
What does it look like to be his disciple? What does it look like? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word. Right? It's a lifestyle of being in his word. His word coming into my heart. His word coming out of my mouth. What did King David say? See, this is all over the Bible. This is all over the scriptures, isn't it? David said, one thing I desire, and that will I seek. What was that one thing? He said, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to gaze on God's beauty. I want to seek him. David was saying, I want to go after God. What, how did David do that? Didn't he have the word coming into his heart and he sang it out of his mouth? David models this for us. Where was Moses all the time? Face to face with God, right? Where was Joshua? What did God tell Joshua? Meditate on my word day and night. The word coming into your heart, coming out of your mouth. He lived a lifestyle and that's why they excelled in the things of the kingdom. What did David mean when he said, one thing I've desired the Lord and that will I seek. What is he saying? I'm going to have, I'm going to make this thing, this one thing, the presence of the Lord, this intimacy with God, I'm going to make that the intentional, focused pursuit of my life. When he says, this one thing I've desired, that will I seek, he's saying, I'm going after that. I guarantee David had a plan of action. See, I... I, I need a plan because I'm really good at getting distracted. On my wall in my office has been now painted Psalm 27.4. One thing I've desired of the Lord and that will I seek. I probably pray that, I mean, probably for the last decade of my life, just almost every day. You know, it's funny, when I don't really press into that verse or reality, it's not just that verse, but that reality, it's usually evidence I'm getting distracted. I get tired I get weary, I get distracted, I get grumpy, I fall short in my goals, and it's that very reason I need to hear this. It's that very reason I have to come back to what am I living for? What is the goal of my life? What is God saying to me? What do I need to do about it? can you imagine the apostle Barnabas when he comes and he says to them continue with the Lord with purpose of heart can you imagine he just came from Jerusalem right what did they do in Jerusalem Acts chapter 2 and they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine to the fellowship to the breaking of bread to prayer They shared their resources. They met daily, daily, daily in the temple, probably to hear the apostles teach them, and in house to house, to fellowship, to have communion, to pray together. Word coming into their ears, word coming out of their mouth. In fellowship, in community, encouraging one another. Right? my, My point, and I'm just giving you like verses, just random it's not that difficult to figure out what that lifestyle looks like. Now, here's the deal. We don't live in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. We're not in Antioch. What does it look like in Los Angeles? What does it look like in your schedule? I don't know. That's why we need a plan. But it's not too difficult to find out that Jesus has promised that his word has power to change me and that he has called me to intentionally, deliberately walk with him 
in a devoted lifestyle of being in this flow. <clears throat> One of the things that I do is I kind of, I just, we don't have time necessarily for me to go into this in detail, although it would be fun, is... One of the things I do and one of the things we encourage leaders to do, in fact, I have the leaders of this church go off and do this every three months or so and I do this every three months or so and and we actually teach this and have you do this in Operation Solid Lives, our discipleship program. But we we, we teach what's called, we call it roles and goals, basically. And roles and goals, that's just a nice name for spend time with God, hear his voice, and do it. But basically, in these roles and goals... I think of roles and goals as, as, a, as a getaway, get, have a time with God, and I think of it honestly like the reset button. You know, sometimes when your computer's freaking out, sometimes the first thing you need to do is just reset your computer. Wow, right there. If you didn't get anything out of this message, that was some great practical wisdom, huh? <laughs> sometimes you just got to reset. And you know what Dave Turner needs? A lot of every day. <laughs> I got to hit that reset button. I need to get away with Jesus. I need some space in my life to hear the Lord because I can start getting on a track that is not good to keep going down. Frustrated or this or that. And you keep going down that track. Yeah, there's going to be problems. But what we need This is what discipline is. Discipline is a train track. That's all it is. Discipline, having a plan, is the train track. All it is, is it's the lattice. Some of you are like not type A people. You're like, but I'm spontaneous. Hey, build a lattice. The the vine can go anywhere, you know? (laughs) I'm actually, I'm like an amalgam. I'm like this mixture. I have this plan in my life, and then I have the spontaneity, you know? I'm one of those guys that's like, spend time with God, just read whatever I want. But I've actually had to create a system in my life of ways to get the word into my ears, like messages while I'm driving my car. I got to plan that out. You know, I got to like download the things or buy the CDs. You got to have a plan. Or, or, like, or like just what I do is I'll, have, I'll read the daily reading just like you guys uh, that we have, the, the, the church-wide daily reading. We're in the book of Luke right now, the gospel of Luke. But I, man, I read all over the place too. There's times I don't really get to the Bible reading plan until a lot later in the day, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're on those days where I can really study the Word because the Holy Spirit's taking me here, taking me there. There's, there's times, like, that I just need that creativity. I love that spontaneity, creativity, all that fun stuff, right? But we need a plan. We need a lattice structure for the vine to grow on. And so I need a way to kind of get off the destructive track and get onto the right track. And a lot of that is just getting away with God, allowing Him to evaluate us, speak into our hearts. Psalm 139 just says, Search me, O Lord. It's not self-analyzation. It's letting God speak to us, and it's creating an environment of just being honest with God. Yo, anything you want to speak about? You know, and it's being honest with Him. What are the desires of your heart? What are you struggling with? Where do you feel stuck? And just getting honest with God, and from that place, listing out roles. It's not compartmentalizing. See, so often, Jesus is saying, come follow me. Make me the Lord in the center of your life. And we're over here going, Jesus, can you fit into this little box of my life? And Jesus wants to, us to come into his kingdom and let him be Lord over every area of our life. And so doing the roles and goals to me means, hey, I bring you my finances and I bring you my kids and I bring you my relationship with my wife and I bring you my time and I bring you the ministry that you've called me to. 
the, you know, the church. I bring you the classes that I teach over at life. And I bring this to you. Do you want to speak in any of these areas? And I write them down as roles, right? I'm a child of God, you know, and I have relationship with my own self. That's the physical side. And I have relationship with my wife and my kids and you guys and, 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 my, and my family. And I allow the Lord to speak into that. You know, it's kind of like a Holy Spirit brainstorming session, a little bit of you, mostly him. He's talking to you, you're talking to him, going back and forth. Hey, that's a great idea, Lord. And, and then you tell him an idea, and he goes, hey, that's a really great idea, let's do that. You know, this is like a brainstorming time. And you put these things down as goals. You say, Lord, where do you want me to grow? What do you want me to do? And so it's not like, you know, this is not, this is not one of those, uh, you know, this would, be, this, this would work for anyone, right? Like you're a CEO, there it is right there, you know? Get a vision, set some goals, do it. It's really not that difficult, right? You know? But, but well, I'm not talking to CEOs, although maybe some of you are. I'm talking to Christ followers. And that Jesus wants to lead us in every area of our life. And so I bring all these things to him. And I let him speak into that. And some seasons I'm, I'm focusing on some things. And other seasons I'm focused on other things. But I get some goals. And I really encourage you to be specific. Like, what are you going to do about it? When are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Write it down. And I revisit those goals frequently, like weekly. I'll say, hey, what, okay, what's the, what are the assignments for this season? What are, what are we growing in? Some of them are just prayer goals and things I'm meditating on and studying in. Other times, they're just very, very particular, like accomplish that. You know, like I, I think I mentioned a couple months ago with our finances, like we change the way we do in our budget. So we have like a monthly cash flow budget instead of like this static budget that's not really real. So we've like totally shifted the way we do our finances and we're still working on it. But that's more of like a do it, you're done, good, you know? And then just keep it going. But other things are like growth goals. Like the Lord is teaching me to be more gentle with my kids instead of like getting frustrated and disciplining them with a harshness. The Lord is teaching me how to be consistent and to discipline. Gentleness does not mean weakness, right? But to be gentle and to apply the right amount of strength in the right way as I discipline and things like that. That's a, that, that's, how many, how many of you know that you know, you're going to give it a shot and you're going to fall down and you're going to keep going? You know what I'm saying? That's going to take me some time, but I'm meditating on the Word. I'm brainstorming with the Lord. When I mess up, I go back. I say, Lord, what should I have done differently? What's going on in my heart? And together, Him and I, we grow and we make progress. But if I had no plan, I don't know. I don't know if I'd keep dealing with those issues in my life or not. And then we implement it. <clears throat> I just want to say one thing as we wrap up. Okay, that was probably a lie, but here, we'll just. I just, I just want to hit with this. Hear, hear, hear me here. 80% is an A. Okay, see, there's perfectionists that are self-defeating, and then there's perfectionists that are overachieving, right? The perfectionists who are overachieving, they try to do it all in their own human effort, okay, instead of in the spirit, and then they, when they fail, they think that they, God's mad at them and they failed. The, the self-defeating perfectionist is afraid to fail so they don't try. Because if I don't try, I don't fail. Huh? It makes sense in your head? It's a lot. Okay, that's, that's totally messed up. Listen, in the kingdom, you can't fail. You can't fail. Amen. Do, do you hear me? He said, he said, come, follow me. I'll do the work. Thank you very much. I remember when Jesus was doing that in me because I'm the overachiever guy, okay? He's all, I'm not mad at you. I'm not disappointed with you, you know? This is a means. This is just a strategy to, 
to step into the things of the Lord. This isn't, this isn't, if you do it or you don't do it, you're holy or you're not holy. This is just the means to let Jesus, it's just creating an opportunity for you to receive what God has for you, right? It's just allowing his grace to flow so you actually see change in your life. And Jesus was like, just show up. Dave, just show up. I'll do the rest. That wasn't, you know, that, that, that was that the plan was, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna listen to the word, I'm gonna spend some time with the Lord, and that was probably in a place, when he said that, that was probably when I was most stuck in my life. And he just, just show up. Just show up. And one of the most important things I say to people who are stuck and who have had a habit of, 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 of not sticking with the plan. Listen to me. This is the word of the Lord. I said it already. I'm going to say it again. Submit to the plan. I don't have a plan. Submit. You just do what I do. You don't have a plan. Take mine. You know what I'm saying? Hebrews says that. Did you know that? Hebrews 13 says, imitate. Imitate your leaders. Submit to them. Obey them. Because, because they're doing this for your sake. I'm not trying to control anyone. I told that to Kurt today. I was, this week I told Kurt, I have no desire to control. I am the opposite of a micromanager. Do you need more help though from me? I can be a little too hands off here. Can I nurture you? Can I, can I invest in you? Right, right. This is, this is the thing. No control here. But follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm not following Jesus, you should probably pick someone else. But, but if I'm following Jesus, imitate what I'm doing. You don't have a plan? Steal mine. You don't have a plan? I've got, I've got three letters for you. O-S-L. See, if you don't have a plan... Yeah. You guys are fun. If you don't have a plan... You steal one. That's what I did. That's what I did when I lost vision and I lost heart and I got stuck. I just stole someone else's plan who had fruit in the kingdom. I stole their plan and, and I just showed up. I just showed up. But here's the deal. You've got to stick with it. I'll tell people all the time, just stay on the bandwagon. People who have, who have hurts and pains in life, they're not good at trusting people. They have brokenness in relationships, so they go from church to church to church. I just say, stay. No, stay on the bandwagon. Just stick on the bandwagon. Just don't... Just, uh, you know, the one thing they need is like stay in that home group. And they're like, bing, 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 all over the place, right? You know, let's say it's FPU. You know, you need to get breakthrough in your finances. Go to FPU. Keep going to FPU. You know what I'm saying? You didn't get the breakthrough the first time. Do it again. Whatever it takes. I'm not talking about being per- perfect. I'm not talking about being super disciplined type A personality. I'm not talking about that. Jesus says 80% is an A. Just show up. Because a guaranteed, for those of you who are overreaching, I just want to let you know, if you're over, overachieving perfectionist, you can't get 100%. Stop lying to yourself. Acting like, yeah, yeah, I got this plan, I'm 100%. Yeah, right. There is, no. Perfectionism, eh. Throw it out. Reject it. It's religion, right? Fear of failure. His love is unfailing. But embrace this, 80% an A. So you get your plan. I'm going to follow Jesus. I got a plan of action and you just stick with it. I guarantee you invest anything in the kingdom, you're going to get a return. So Dave Turner, I got this plan. I surely don't do it 100%, but I just keep at it. And when I fall down, I don't beat myself up. And when I do it, I'm not like, yeah, look at me. I read my Bible today. I'm so holy. Who cares, you know? No, I just want to know Jesus. I want to become like Jesus. I want to partner with him. All right, so the word of the Lord. Have a plan. Continue with the Lord with purpose of heart. Submit to a plan. Say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to be in your word. Word coming into my ears, coming out of my mouth. And I'm not going to let up. I'm going to stick with it. Amen?